Well, good evening, all. It is so good to see you all here tonight. Good group on a Sunday night. And uh, we have a special treat tonight. We get to hear from the Reverend Dr. Nathan Brenich. <laughs> he said that's the story of his life right there. Come on ahead, Nathan. Preach for us. Glad you're here. Good to see you, man. Well, I want to thank uh, Pastor so much for the opportunity to preach to you guys tonight. And uh, we're going to dive into the message pretty quickly. Um, if you don't, uh, if, if you've never had the opportunity to meet me, my name is Nathan. And uh, I served here as the assistant and youth pastor for almost 15 years. Grew up in the church as a kid and uh, came back. My mother uh, went to be with the Lord on Christmas Day. And so we came back for the funeral. And um, before I become a blubbering fool, I, we're going to... I may talk more about that when we, uh, at the end of the message, but just thank you so much for your prayers and your love. And I know many of you have known mom, you've been here, you know, as, uh, even longer than she was. And it's just so awesome, the comfort and the help that God gives you in a time like this. And I'm just mindful, man, she's great. <laughs> she's with the Lord. And uh, we may talk about that more at the end of the service, but um, let's pray together, and then we're going to dive in, look at God's Word, and again, it's been so fun catching up with many of you, and I hope to do even more of that after the service, but let's take this important time to look at the most important words on this planet, the Word of God. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this church, and to see what you're doing with these people, uh, to see the team ministry up and running, and just to see how well prepared everybody was to uh, to have visitors come in and just the fellowship that's going on, just the lives that are being changed. Thank you. And Lord, thank you for uh, Pastor's heart to want to teach others about the preservation of your words. Lord, this is a special place, it's a special ministry. And Lord, we know it's not because we're awesome. It's because you are a mighty God and uh, you are doing great things through people with humble hearts who are willing to submit to your word and believe it. And so thank you, God, for changing our hearts, our lives. I pray if there's somebody here tonight that does not know you as their Savior, you'd speak to their heart about that. Help them to see that that is the most important decision they will ever make in their life. God, uh, for those of us uh, that are saved, we do know you. I pray that this would be a help and an encouragement. God, please help me to um, proclaim your word tonight. And I pray you'd help us to have a better understanding of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm excited tonight. So this is my grandfather's Bible. So my mother's dad was a pastor for years over in Galleon, Ohio, and also in New Jersey and Pennsylvania before that. So I brought my, we called him Pop-Up. So Pop-Up, I brought his Bible back to read at my mom's graveside. And so that was a real neat deal. So if it looks like I'm treating this like a 1953 Geneva, which, whichever one was from 1593. Yeah, that one. If it looks like I'm treating this like a museum Bible, it's because it's my grandfather's and it's brittle, so i got to be careful to not go too fast tonight. But um, Dodie did ask if I could just preach long, and um, I said no. Uh, but, <laughs> but hey, we are going to look at tonight, this is what I want to do. I want to look at the word triumph in the Bible. The word triumph, and I think as Christians, this is really going to help and encourage us tonight. So... Um, if you, so you've got your hand out there. Um, and by the way, is there anybody that doesn't have a hand out? If you would, raise your hand. Okay, you see a junior high boy raising his hand, just get him some deodorant. Other than that, everybody else needs a hand out. Okay. You really do? Oh, 
Oh, Miss Laura needs a handout. So whoever's got the handouts, Jet, are, oh, you're out? Okay. I've got one, but it's got all the answers on it, and I'm not giving the answers away yet. All right, so uh, tonight we're going to look at the biblical definition of the word triumph, and there are four examples God gives us of this word. So if you just jump into the Webster's 1828 dictionary, the word triumph as a noun, it is... It means this. Among the ancient Romans, it was a pompous ceremony performed in honor of a victorious general who was allowed to enter the city crowned, originally with laurel, but in later times with gold, bearing a truncheon in one hand. That's like a big rod. It was a cool thing. In one hand and a branch of laurel in the other, riding in a chariot drawn by two horses and followed by the kings, princes, and generals whom he had vanquished loaded with chains and insulted by mimics and buffoons. Now, so the parents of our teenagers, I've kind of ruined the word buffoon, so the next time you call your teenager, like, don't be a buffoon. They'll be like, but that's really cool. It means we triumphed, and I'm making fun of the guy, all right? But no, don't don't be a buffoon. But mimics and buffoons, they would basically tease, you know, the the, the enemy that was defeated as they were brought through the gates. So the triumph was of two kinds, the greater and the less. The lesser triumph was granted for a victory over enemies of less considerable power and was called an ovation. Interesting. And then uh, a triumph is also, it's a victory or a conquest. So that's used as a noun. As a verb, to triumph is to celebrate victory with pomp, to rejoice for victory. Okay? So that's how Webster would define it. Let's see how God illustrates a triumph for us in the Bible. So let's go to Exodus chapter 15. And number one, we're going to see here the example of Moses in Exodus. The example of Moses in Exodus. Now, really, it's it's Moses giving this song and this praise of the Lord triumphing over Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army. So um, let's look at the example here that, that God gives us here. So Exodus chapter 15 and verse number one. So just remember to... Again, what's happened is Pharaoh, his army has been destroyed, and Moses and the people of Israel, they're about to lift up praise to God for delivering them miraculously. Verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed. What's the next word? What's that word? Really loud. What's that word? Law first mentioned, right? When God triumphs, how does he triumph? Is it mediocre? Is it average? Or is it glorious? God triumphed gloriously. Well, what would, what would a glorious triumph look like if you were to put it into words? Well, this is what it would look like. For he hath triumphed gloriously the horse, and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become what? 
glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed the uh, in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency hast thou overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as an heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. Mine hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? What? In what? In holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. And he continues to go on there. But this is what a glorious triumph looks like for God. Those enemies that tried to wipe out his people. Letter A, God triumphed gloriously. This is what it looked like, letter B. God cast them. He drowned them. He covered them. He dashed them in pieces. He overthrew them. He consumed them. He sank them. He had the earth swallow them. And you think about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram there that tried to lead a rebellion during the... Moses' leadership. So God cast them. He drowned them. He covered them. He dashed them in pieces. He overthrew them. He consumed them. He sank them. And he had the earth swallow them. Does that sound like a triumphant victory over an enemy? You see, we're used to watching movies. And in the movies, you know, the good guy, he's trading blows with the bad guy. And they're going, It looks exactly like that. I mean, pretty good, huh? Pretty good. Anderson, he was a little afraid when that foot came out. That's a 13 right there, man. Face plant. You know, reach to the good guy, and they're trading blows, and the good guy goes down. And he's like, ah, ah. You know, and he comes back, and he gets the victory. How many of you remember? I can't remember. It might be Ninja Turtles 2. Which one was the one where they threw Shredder off? And he goes into the trash compactor or whatever. But then at the very end of the movie, it's like, you know, the credits roll. And then, you know, what happens? Like the camera zooms in on the trash. And all of a sudden, the hand comes up. You see Shredder with all the, like, knives and stuff on his hand. And you're like, oh, sequel, you know. When God triumphs over an enemy, it's not like the Avengers movies. They don't get blows on God. Well, now I will say this, scripturally, Satan was able to bruise the Lord's heel. But what did Jesus going to do to him? Crush his head. So again, this, this word triumph, man, you see, do you see the greatness and the glory in this victory? The enemy was smashed and drowned. What about the example of the, at the death of King Saul in Second Samuel, if you'd go there in the Old Testament, Ty. Um, 
You're welcome. I was just telling him so he could tell Diana that's what it was. Second Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 17. Here, if you remember, Saul and Jonathan were killed. And if you remember, just the way that Saul's life ended, he ended up actually falling on his own sword. It was a brutal, horrible death, but he didn't want to be captured, right? And because he knew that the enemy would torture him and kill him. So just an awful end to Saul's life. And, and you remember David's love for Jonathan. Um, he had such a love for his friend. And in verse 17, the Bible says, in, so Second Samuel 1, 17, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul, and over Jonathan, his son. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah. Did I write down the right one? Yeah, yeah. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? But listen to what David said. Now, let me ask you. David and Saul, was there a bit of a tiff there? Is there a bit of a riff? But did David hold a grudge against Saul? No, look at his lamentation. He says, the beauty of Israel is slain. Verse number 20, tell it not in Gath. Now, high schoolers, all right? So Bible question. What Philistine was from Gath? Everybody say Goliath. Goliath. Yeah, you remember Goliath of Gath? He's saying, don't tell it in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised, what's the next word? Triumph. When Saul and Jonathan went down in, in battle, and really it was, you know, just, you can read the end of the story for yourself, as a horrible death. But David lamented. He didn't sit there and, and say, well, fine, let the Philistines just hang his body up. No, he didn't come at that. You know, it shows me he wasn't bitter. He didn't hold a grudge. And what did he do? He lamented. And he said, man, I don't want the enemies of God to rejoice. This isn't good. Don't let them triumph. Don't let them feel like they've won. So that's interesting use of the word here. So letter A, David did not want God's enemies, the Philistines, to triumph at the death of Saul and Jonathan. And then I thought this would be a fitting point, you know, because at times the wicked, they seems like they triumph. If you remember the book in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs encourages us, let not thine heart envy sinners. But be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And you know, I think it's one of the Psalms where he goes and he's like, man, it seems like the wicked, it seems like the wicked, they're living their lives, they're, they're doing pretty good, and I've got these troubles, i got these struggles, but then he says it all changes when he goes to the sanctuary. When he goes in the house of God and realizes their end. And here in Job 20, this is interesting, uh, get there, trying to turn these pages gently. Job chapter 20 and verse number 5. This is Zophar. He's speaking and he says in verse number 5. Let's let's go in verse number, let's go verse 4. Knowest thou not this of old since man was placed upon earth? That the triumphing of the wicked is what? Okay, so when we see the wicked triumph, just remember It's not going to last. It's short. Might be a hundred years. Might be a thousand years. On the span of eternity, it's short. 
Like what else he says? And the joy of the hypocrite, but for a moment. Listen, you go out and you live away from God. That whatever happiness that brings you is but for a moment. Because you're going to stand before God someday. I mean, you're living now in whatever you do now, it's going to impact your eternity. Not Not for salvation, right? But there are rewards that you can miss out on. Your life, uh, the stuff that you live for can be wood, hay, and stubble. The work that you do could be wood, hay, and stubble, but it could also be gold, silver, and precious stones when it's done for the Lord. So the hypocrites, but for a moment, look at this. Though his excellency mount up to the heavens and his head reach under the clouds, yet he shall perish forever like his own dumb. They which have seen him shall say, where is he? He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision of the night. You know, this is interesting to me. Um, is Adolf Hitler here on the planet? Che Guevara? These guys that were, you know, uh, uh, Mao and all them. The wicked, wicked men. And you know what we can say? You go to the part of the country where they ruled and say, where is he? He's gone. And they're going to stand before God and give an account. So, so sometimes it looks like, man, the, the, the wicked, they're just triumphing. Listen, God's going to rectify that. He will rectify that. So the example we looked at of Moses in Exodus, we looked at an example there of triumphing uh, with the death of King Saul. And then notice this. Look at Colossians 2.15. And uh, this should be a familiar, it's probably a familiar verse for you. Colossians and I'll never forget if you have trouble remembering, remembering the order of Galatians and all that. Just think, go, Ty, Ty taught, Mr. Ty taught me this one. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Okay? So then Colossians will be right after that. Colossians 2.15. And let's actually start in verse 13. Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How did he do that? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So you can look at the Old Testament and see that man, we are fallen, we are sinful, and those handwriting of ordinances that are against us, Jesus took that and nailed it to his cross and shed his perfect, sinless blood to pay for and wash away that sin. And verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I'm telling you, when God triumphs, he triumphs gloriously. And if you remember, I think it's Psalm, you know, kind of like Psalm 22, 23, 24. Those are very prophetic of Christ. And if you remember, um, one of them is just, it's an amazing picture of the thoughts and the heart of what's going on in our Savior's mind as he there on the cross. And one of those verses says, many bulls of Bashan. I would usually say Bashan, but I've been listening to my King James guy on the audible or on the audio thing. And he's like, many bulls of 
Bashan have set me round. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I guess it's Bashan. At least it sounds cooler. But you've got these many bulls, he says. They've compassed me around. He says, they gape upon me with their teeth and with their faces and their, and their mocking and their spitting. And there are physical people at the cross. We know human beings that were standing down there saying, well, if you're God, why don't you just come down here? Why don't you just save yourself if you're God? But we know there was a spiritual battle going on that day. And I don't think we can fully understand the attack from the enemy and the mocking. Because you remember Jesus, when he cast out some uh, uh, of those devils, they said, why art thou come to torment us before the time? And they asked him, who we go into these pigs over here, these swine, and he sends them over there. So there's, there's some spiritual things going on there. There's a spiritual battle. But in all of that, can you imagine what the devils and the devil thought? That moment Jesus said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. I don't know at that moment exactly everything that transpired, but just just imagining, maybe Satan said, finally, <laughs> we've got him. We've got him. He's, he's dead, all these little human beings now. And, you know, however those things, and I know pastors talked about, you know, those some of the things that happened those three days that Jesus was in the grave, but I do know this. That Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb. And the disciples come to the tomb and the angels are like, the angels tell him, you know, behold, he is not here. He is risen. What happened that day? There was, there was no power on earth or in hell that was going to keep God Almighty in that grave. And so he triumphed gloriously. And whatever power these principalities and powers thought they had, uh, Jesus made very clear who's in, in control. And so Jesus, you have him, uh, letter A, he spoiled them. And when you look at the Old Testament, you know, that was when you defeated an enemy, you'd spoil their goods, right? You'd take all the stuff off them. You might take, you know, a guy's sword or a shield or just their goods. You were stripping them. The, the word actually means to like, to cut away and to separate. And so it was, they were stripping uh, away everything that was left from the enemy. And Jesus did it. He has, uh, he has completely vanquished them. And then Jesus made a show of them openly. So all of the mocking and the spitting and the, the humility that the Son of God endured, and he did, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, given him a, a name which is above every name, right? And you know that, that passage is so great. So we have the example of the Lord over the principalities and powers at his erection. So, um, so, so far, do you see how a triumph, how it's a, just this amazing, glorious victory with pomp and circumstance and, and, and making fun and mockery of the enemy? So far, have we seen that illustrated, right? So what about the example of the believer in Christ? Look with me, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse number, let's start in, look, uh, go to 2 Corinthians 2, and let's start in verse number 12. Uh, let's go, oh, let's go 10, verse 10. 
to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. So, again, what has he just told them to do? Go ahead and shout it out. What has he told them to do? Forgive. Then he gives the why. Why? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So what the Holy Spirit of God lets us know as Christians is that unforgiveness is a device of Satan. And what it does is it ruins, it destroys. Bitterness springs up and many are defiled. So as Christians, what are we supposed to do? Forgive, right? And he says, if you guys forgave this, I forgive it. And so he says, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach the Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit. Because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which sometimes causeth us to triumph in Christ. Oh, what? Oh. Now, honestly, okay, I'm going to raise my hand with you. How many of you, when you read that, you're like, I don't really always feel like I triumph gloriously, you know, in Christ. Right? But Holy Spirit of God, right, using these words, inspiring them, who always causeth us to triumph where? Yeah, in Christ. And maketh, so what is, so for the Christian, now this is important. Our context and what the verse is saying is that the God always makes us to triumph in Christ. As a Christian, does triumphing look like, man, we're smashing our enemies, we're flooding them, we're beating them over the head? Is that what we do? Not at all. What does the triumphing look like in the life of a believer? Well, the verse says, maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us, where? At Honda, at Culver's. Somebody said, Amen. Right. Culver's. Amen. Okay. You know, at, in every place, like in your workplace, when you make known the, the knowledge of God and his presence, that there's a real living God that loves people. When you make that known, that's part of triumphing in Christ. Look at verse number 16. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. Now, how many of you know there are people that hate Christians and hate Christianity? They hate it. They, they would like for us to die. What else does it say? And to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? I can't tell you how much joy it's brought my heart coming here today and being all hanging out with, with you. Why? Because you're believers, you're following the Lord, and just being around. To me, that's life. Amen? And so hanging out with other Christians ought to be, man, that ought to be helpful and encouraging to you. Um, so then, let me, let's look at another picture uh, from Paul's life. Look at 2 Corinthians. So we're still here in this book. Go to chapter 12. Go to chapter 12 and verse 9. Because again, um, w- w- as Christians, we can read verses like, oh, I'm supposed to always be trying, you know, the, God helps me to always triumph in Christ. But man, I've got trouble in my life. I've, there, there are things that perplex me. There are, there are things that aren't going right. Now, how many of you tonight, you'd say, okay, there's something in my life not going right. How many of you don't want to vote? How many of you, you'd say in your life, everything's going perfectly? Perfect? Perfectly? My English people? One of those two, right? 
So this is what I want to get. Some of you may feel like, well, I guess I'm not triumphing because stuff's not going bad. That doesn't mean that you're not triumphing because that would mean that the Apostle Paul didn't triumph very much. So let's look at what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse number 9. Oh, wait, no. Yes, this, uh, this is the one I wanted. And he said unto me, so remember he has a thorn in his flesh and he asks God to take it away and God doesn't. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your strength. Is that, what, is that what the Bible says? When is God's strength made perfect? Yeah. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And um, I, let's see here. There is, we're still here in 2 Corinthians. There is a part that I skipped. Um, in which chapter? Verse 25, you said? Did I miss it? Because I'm looking for the part where he says we're troubled but not distressed. I may have, I may have gotten us out of the chapter uh, too quickly. Yes. Okay. So thank you. Uh, go to, go to second Corinthians four. Pretend that we didn't just read that other passage. We're laying an argument. I wasn't supposed to give that verse yet. If you were here this morning, you understand that. Second Corinthians chapter four, look at verse number eight. Okay. Again, keep in your mind that God always causeth us to triumph in Christ, right? We'll look at verse eight. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. And we are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So when you think about how much that tied in with the other Second Corinthians passage where we looked at, where we're the savor, right? We're, we're a sweet-smelling savor and, and making the presence and the truth of God known in every place. But sometimes that happens through trouble and being perplexed and being persecuted and being cast down. That stuff doesn't mean we're not being triumphant. We're triumphant when we're, not, when we're troubled but not distressed. When we're perplexed but you're not in despair. Those are two... Different things. And so, again, I'm saying all that to say, you may have trouble in your life, but don't go kill yourself. I mean, let God help you through that and walk through that. So uh, the points that you have there, again, you can write these down. Uh, the Christian may be troubled, but it doesn't have to be distressed. You may be perplexed. You know, this may be a perplexing, complicated situation, but it's not, oh, I guess God's just forgotten me. No, he can't forget you. Letter C, persecuted, not forsaken. Letter D, cast down, but not destroyed. And so now let's go to 2 Corinthians 12. And we see there that we had read where God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so the triumphing in the Christian life comes when we allow Jesus Christ to live his life in and through us. 
and other people see that. And that does not mean we're going to have a stress-free, trouble-free life. But what it does is the way that I respond to the trouble and the hurt and the heartache, that it ought to manifest that there is a living God that I trust in and that I'm looking forward to what he's going to do in my situation. We can be triumphant. Now, um, uh, by way of conclusion, I thought this would be real fun to look at how in the future, in Christ, believers will triumph. So look at 1 Corinthians 15. Does that help? Is that encouraging? I, I, I feel like I have the practical application of that point, I feel like I fell short of. But I just think that when I look at those verses, what he's saying is, man, if you are having tough times, take heart because God's going to use that hurt and that heartache and the, the difficulty that you're going through to help someone else. Um, the way he says it earlier in 2 Corinthians, you're going to help comfort others with the comfort wherewith you were comforted of the comforter, God. Amen? Does that help? All right. Awesome. Man, you're all shaking your heads like this. That's good. We'll move on. So 1 Corinthians, and this is what I'm real excited about. 1551 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And I can tell you tonight as the Bible describes in Acts that David, King David, when he, when he died, he fell on sleep. And you know that the Bible uses those that are asleep in Christ, those that are dead in Christ, they're just asleep. So you know what mom's doing? To me, it appears uh, she's just sleeping, right? But she's with the Lord, and the Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Now we talked about this morning, the preservation of God's words, right? So when God wrote this in the Old Testament, he's going to fulfill it. So I can take hope in the words of God that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Triumphant, glorious rejoicing. In the same way that the God of the Old Testament drowned Pharaoh and Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You know what God did? He opened the earth and the Bible says it swallowed them up. Nobody in Israel went knocking on Korah, Dathan, and Abiram's door trying to figure out where they were at. It was gone. They were gone. They were swallowed up. Guys, someday there's a day when death and hell will be cast into a lake of fire. And then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed. I mean, I hate death. I hate it. It's not natural. This was never supposed to be, uh, this wasn't what God wanted for man. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The day that you eat of that fruit, in that day, you will surely die. God has no joy, does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. But someday death will be swallowed up in victory. 
And then look at verse 55, because there's a little more triumphing that comes. Because when God Almighty swallows up death, I think a little bit he might just kind of rub it in Satan's face. Because when you read triumphing, that's kind of what happens, right? And so God doesn't stop with verse 55. He says, or verse 54, he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I can tell you, as certain as I'm standing here today, that there was a day in my life where I realized that I was a sinner. And that sin had separated me from God, and I had no idea where I was going to spend eternity. But I talked to a camp counselor about that, and he showed me things that I had grown up hearing in Sunday school from the Bible. But that's not what saved me. What saved me is the moment in my heart that I said, Jesus, I believe that. For me, save me. And so I can tell you, as, as real as I'm standing here, there's a day, whether I die and go six feet into the ground, or Jesus comes back and raptures me out of here, that this corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. And then we're going to all be able to say, where are you at, death? Where is thy sting? And I'm so glad that my mom knew Jesus Christ as her Savior. And so you know what? I get to stand at a graveside and read from my grandfather's old Bible, Schofield Bible. And it says, all those amazing things, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Psalm, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. It, it doesn't look that exciting to me, but how is it in God's sight? That's a precious soul that's going to spend eternity with him forever. And you and I have every opportunity that every day God gives us breath to go out and be a sweet savor of Jesus Christ, to triumph in our walk with him. Doesn't mean your life's not going to be full of problems. Trust me. What it does mean is that God can help get you through them so that other people see that there is a living God on the throne that can work miracles, that can help you uh, emotionally and physically and, and financially, and th that God can help you through the, the hurt and the heartache and the, the, the difficulty that you find yourself in. And ultimately, man, if Jesus doesn't come back, guys, we're going to die. But if you're saved... Death, where is thy victory? Pretty cool, right? There's one more verse in that chapter. Can you, guys, can you guys read it out loud together with me? So that's awesome, right? That's the truth. That's the doctrine. That's the doctrinal truth that we're going to be risen again someday. Awesome. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Nope. One more verse. God wants you to apply it to your life. So what's the verse? Everybody read it together with me. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Don't quit, man. Don't quit. Be steadfast. You know, it's wild. Picture a steadfast. Here's a cool thing you can look up. Read through the book of Ruth this week. She was steadfastly minded to worship God, serve him. Unmovable. 
this year, 2022, is something going to move you away from Christ? Always abounding. Around about March, are you going to kind of get fatigued and strung out? And Oh, man, we've got to go to church again. Or are you going to always abound in the work of the Lord? Why? Isn't it amazing? We have a God that can do anything. He could have just told us all the stuff to do, right, as Christians. But so many times he tells us what to do. And it says, you know why? Here's the blessing that's going to be in your life. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And every time my mom played that piano and helped bring my brothers and I to church, that labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain when it's for him. Don't serve each other. Don't, don't serve each other for the pastor. Don't serve each other for your spouse. Don't serve each other for, to, for serve for him. Because when you serve for him, maybe something doesn't go your way, but it's for him, so it doesn't matter. You always abound in the work of the Lord. Guys, I love you, and thank you so much for your prayers. And just know, God is, everything that he has said, mom's experiencing that. She's with him. And so, for that I am grateful. And until I see her, till you get to see her, you know what she would want? Always bound in the work of the Lord. That's what she would want. And again, you do it because that's what God wants you to do. Amen. But uh, hey, you moms, you keep serving the Lord. You dads, man, be a man of God. You guys right here, I remember when God changed my life as a freshman in high school. You serve him and don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We serve a great God. Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, as we look at your triumphant victories, there is no one like you, God.